good morning. Welcome to Element Church. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning. Now, if you have been a part of Element Church for a while, you know that we have been walking together through the book of James. Um, we're in chapter 5 now, the final chapter, and so we're on the home stretch. And if you've been with us, there's probably a few things that you've recognized. Uh, number one is that James... Um, does not care about our feelings. James is just going to call it out like it is. He's just going to leave things out there and expects us to wrestle with um, the uncomfortableness, the difficulties of some of the things that he teaches or talks about, uh, and, and figure out how to put it into practice in our own lives. You know, one of the advantages of doing a study like this, where we just go verse by verse by verse, all the way through a book in the Bible, is that it exposes us to things that we might not normally be exposed to. If we were to just do a sermon series based off a topic and to pick and choose passages or verses um, that, that spoke to that topic, there's a lot of things that we would miss. And so when you go verse by verse through a book, it forces you to confront things that you may otherwise not be forced into confronting. Now let me say this up front. As with every message in this series, James, like I said, is not worried about our feelings. He's just going to call it like it is. Today's particular passage is going to be difficult to hear and to wrestle with for some of us or maybe all of us, and that's okay. We're just going to embrace it, and we're going to wrestle through it together. Now, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to open up James like we do every week. Most weeks, all the passages of Scripture that we cover are going to be available for you on the screen. Um, all the passages that we're going to read in detail will, again, be for you on the screen. But there are going to be a number of um, verses and passages that I'm going to read today that will not be on the screen. If you scan this QR code or if you open up the Bible app and go to our event, Element Church's event in the Bible app, you're going to have a list of all the scriptures that we'll read but won't be on the screen today. And when we get to there, uh, you'll understand why because we're going to run through a bunch of verses really quickly together. And so what we're going to do is we're going to open up chapter 5 of James, the final chapter of his letter and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. And so this is all of 1 through 6 that we're going to work through together. So let me just start by reading the whole passage, and then we'll figure out how to wrestle with it together. James says this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, let me say a few things about this passage. Um, specifically, James is most likely talking to his churches 
about a very specific situation dealing with very specific people uh, that his churches are dealing with. James here is not most likely just generally throwing out accusations against all rich or all wealthy people of all times and in all places. He's really probably speaking to something very specific that's going on in his churches that has to do um, with some very specific people. Either things are being done by or to some of the people in his church. However, what we've already seen from James is that he does not take likely, uh, lightly excuse me, the corrupting danger of wealth. Now when we read a passage like this, there are generally three common responses that all of us feel inside. Like as I was reading those verses, there's three ways that most of us respond internally to just hearing that read out loud. The first one is celebration. Celebration because we don't think we're rich. Because we know people who have more, who make more, who own more than us. We, we never see ourselves as rich and wealthy because we always know personally or know about people who have so much more than we do. I woke up pretty early this morning, and because I was being lazy, I just chose to lay in bed and read the news, uh, which I do fairly regularly. I like to just start perusing the news when, when I wake up. And I don't know why, maybe my phone, it probably does know exactly what I was going to preach today because our phones and our computers know everything about us, even things we don't know about ourselves. And I actually, one of the top news stories uh, in my feed this morning was from Yahoo Finance uh, that was actually identifying the richest individuals in every state. And it identified who it was and how much they were worth. And of all 50 states, uh, there were only two states who the wealthiest person who lived there was not a billionaire. Um, and so I just I found that interesting. We always know of, even if we don't know them personally, stories of people who have so much more than us. So sometimes when we read things like this, our initial reaction is to celebrate. Almost like, yeah, James, you go get those rich people. You go get those wealthy people. I'm not one of those. I'd like to be, but I'm not. So obviously I don't fall into that category. The other way that sometimes we respond when we read those verses or verses like it, like it is defensiveness. We read something like what James had to say and we get defensive. Like, yeah, 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 but I worked hard for my money. Nobody handed me anything. I worked hard for it and I deserve it. So I don't know what it is that James thinks he has to say, but I didn't rob anyone. I didn't steal from anyone. I'm not corrupt. I worked hard for my money. And so sometimes we read those things and we become defensive. And then the third response that we sometimes feel is just uncomfortableness. Like, um, what are the implications of these verses? Am I supposed to feel guilty for having a nice house or a retirement account? What am I supposed to just sell everything I own and give it away and be poor? And we start to get uncomfortable with like, maybe, what, are, what are the implications that are about to come out in regards to these verses. 
Now, here's what I want to do this morning. A couple of things. Number one is I want to provide some biblical context for what it is that the Bible has to say about wealth and money, both the positive and the negative sides. We're just going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about wealth and money to provide a biblical context for this topic. Number two, we're going to just talk about some historic, economic, global context to put some things in context within our world. And then three, I'm going to close out. I'm just telling you in advance what we're going to do. I'm going to close out our time together by reading James, those six verses again, and then I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you however he needs to speak to you today. So let's start by just looking at some biblical context on wealth and money. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm about to read about 15 verses. I'm going to go quickly. I'm not going to take a pause. I'm not going to stop and talk about each verse. I'm just going to read them. And because of that, that's why we're not going to have all of these on the screen. But if you've got the Bible app open, I've got the scripture references for every one of those already laid out. So that way you can, you can tag it, you can save it. I don't know if you know this, but in the Bible app, you can save the event. You can make comments and notes all within the Bible app um, every week as we work through. So if, if, if you're, you've got questions or, or God sparks something in you or you have thoughts, you can make note of all of those and then you can save it right there in your Bible app. And so let me just provide some biblical context on some of the things that the Bible has to say about wealth and money. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There, uh, the author of Hebrews is quoting God. 1 Timothy 6.10 for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Luke 12.15 says, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Proverbs 13.22, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and He adds no sorrow with it. Proverbs 3.9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the firstfruits of all your produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it will be given to you. 
good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So that's just a summary of some of the things that the Bible has to say about wealth and money. I don't even think I could go through all of them, reading them at that pace in our time together today. There's just so much. Uh, It would be almost impossible to read all of them in one sitting, at least in the time frame in which we have. But it gives us some perspective on what the Bible teaches about wealth. One, it teaches that sometimes God's blessings on our lives actually do come in the form of wealth and money. It teaches us also about the dangers of wealth and money and the great distraction it can be for our souls. The Bible teaches us that we are to work hard for money, that we should save money, that we should provide for our families financially, and that we ought to be outrageously generous towards those who are in need and towards the kingdom of God. What I want to do now is I want to look at two passages in particular, rather than just reading them and quickly moving on, just stop and think about them for a moment. We're actually going to compare two passages that take a different approach to the same idea and allow it to inform us a little bit about how we should approach wealth and money. And the first comes from Proverbs 21.20, which we have actually read multiple times uh, in this series studying the book of James. And it says, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. That those who are wise set aside and save for the future, but fools devour everything they have in the moment. Now I want to look at another passage, a teaching of Jesus. that talks a little bit about this same idea, but from a different perspective. And then we'll talk about what, what it is that makes them different. Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here we have the same practice, but looked at from two different perspectives. This practice of saving and storing up wealth. On the one hand, the Bible tells us that it's wise people who save for the future. It's foolish people who fail to save for the future. But then on the other hand, we have this discussion about the dangers of saving up wealth for ourselves for the future. So what's going on here? Is Jesus contradicting the teaching in Proverbs? Is Proverbs telling us it's wise to save for the future and Jesus is countering that and saying, no, it's not wise? I don't know if you caught some of the key words in Jesus' teaching here, but James builds his understanding and his teaching on wealth and money from this very teaching from Jesus. Look at the same or the similar wording that's used 
all the words and the ideas that James picks up and uses in his teaching on wealth and money. All of these same words and ideas that he's going to utilize. But what is Jesus trying to do? Is he contradicting Proverbs? I think we get a better picture if we go just a few more verses down. And here's what Jesus concludes in his teaching. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the key that helps us understand what point Jesus is trying to make, and that, in fact, he is not contradicting or countering the teaching of Proverbs. Because what we have here is that Jesus is confronting those who are storing up treasures, but they weren't doing it out of wisdom, wanting to be prepared for the future. They were doing it out of idolatry. Their heart was to serve money and wealth. Instead of trusting and relying on God, they were storing up treasures so they could trust and rely on themselves and on their own money and on their own wealth. This wasn't an issue of wisdom. This was an issue of idolatry, of where they were placing their hope and their trust. Because this is what Jesus realizes, that he wants us to understand. Going back to his first teaching that we looked at. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts follow our pocketbooks. Our hearts follow our wallets. What we invest in is what we value. Jesus wasn't speaking against the idea of being prepared for the future. Jesus wasn't speaking out against retirement funds. Jesus was speaking out against the idea that you can replace God with your own financial security. This idea that we would begin to worship money and wealth rather than God. Now here's what I also want to do for us. We talked a little bit about what the Bible has to say about wealth and money. We talked about a a biblical context for the teaching on wealth and money. And for a moment, I just want to talk about some economic, historic, global context. This century has been a really good century economically for people all over the world. This century has, been a, has seen a record reduction of worldwide poverty. Just in the first decade of this century alone, 700 million individuals stepped out of poverty around the world. According to some research from, um, from the Pew Research Organization, 15% of the world's population is considered poor. 
Now, you and I would define poor in a certain way. We would define poor based off what we have seen or experienced or what we have gone through in our own lives. But from a global perspective, to be labeled as poor means that you live on $2 or less per day. 15% of the world's population is classified as poor. They live on $2 or less a day. 56% of the world's population is considered low income. 56%. Which means they live on anything between 2 and $10 a day. 13% of our world's population is considered middle income. And from a global perspective, middle income means that you live on between 10 and $20 per day. Not per hour, 10 to $20 per day. That means that 84% of the world population would be classified as living below the poverty level in the U.S. Only 7% of the world's population is considered high income. High income means that you live on $50 a day or more. Average Americans... The average adult spends $800 per year on coffee or specialty coffee drinks. That's more than 15% of the world will live on for an entire year. The average American family spends $1,200 per person per year on fast food. So the average American family spends $100 per month per person just on fast food. The average American adult spends 3.1 hours a day watching television. And despite all of our bragging about cutting cable and cutting the cord, the average American family spends $600 a year on non-cable streaming services. That's a global perspective and context on wealth and money. No matter where you find yourself today. You probably don't know a lot about the financial situation of people sitting around you, but you can look and you can make guesses. And it doesn't matter whether you think you rank higher or lower than anyone else in this room. Here's what we know. All of us are rich, and all of us are very, very wealthy. We don't see ourselves like that. We don't feel that way all the time. But we throw money at non-essentials at a level that most people don't even live on for, in the course of an entire year. So here's what we know. From the biblical context, um, like we said earlier, we know that one of the ways that God does bless people can be through money and wealth and material possessions. That God, as a lover of giving good gifts, loves to give good gifts to us. And sometimes that comes in the form 
of wealth. That not all wealth and not all money is evil. And not all those who have wealth and who have money are evil. But what the Bible also does teach is that wealth is one of the greatest distractions of our hearts and one of the greatest dangers to our souls. Because wealth and money delude us into thinking that we don't need God. And we're led to a place where we begin to worship what money and wealth can do for us rather than what we are desperately in need of God to do for us. The Bible also teaches, as we talked about earlier, that we are all called to work hard for money. We didn't actually read the verses about this today when we did that quick survey, but the Bible has very poor things to say about lazy people and people who do not provide for their own family financially, who don't take care of their own family. We're called to work hard for money. We're called to save money for the future, to be wise and be prepared for the future. We're called to provide financially for our families, and we're called to give generously, outrageously generously, to those who are in need and towards the kingdom of God. That's what we know from a biblical context. From the global context, we know that all of us in this room are very rich and very, very wealthy. So the question is, what will you do with the blessings and the finances and the wealth and the money that God has given to you and the ways in which he has blessed and enriched your life? Will you use them to honor God? Will you use your wealth to bless and to minister to others? Or will you take wealth and money and set it up on an idol and worship it instead of worshiping the one who really deserves it? I'm going to read James 5, 1 through 6 one more time as we close. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you held back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let me pray for us. Lord, sometimes the greatest gift you can give to us is to make us uncomfortable. to make us stop and to look at our own lives, to examine those places in our hearts where we're still wicked, we're still idolatrous, where we are still drawn into worshiping someone or something other than you. 
Lord, all of us are rich and wealthy. Many of us feel comfortable with that because we, we didn't earn it or receive it by evil methods or means. But Lord, you have called us to use what blessings you pour into our lives to make a difference, to use it to minister to, to uh, bless others. Lord, would you help our hearts to be full of thanksgiving and gratitude for the, for the wealth that you have given us. For the amazing opportunities that we have to have running water and warm houses in the winter and a beautiful, amazing place to live. Would we be thankful and grateful for it? Not, not ashamed. Not unnecessarily full of guilt. But Lord, in that same moment, that we are thankful and grateful. Would you stir our hearts to use those blessings that you've given us to make a difference in others' lives? Would you help us to remember that no matter what, our eyes, our worship should be, should be focused on you, not on ourselves, not on our ability, not on our bank accounts. Our worship should be focused on you. Lord, thank you for your graciousness. Help us to worship you more than anything else, more than anything that draws our attention or our heart's affections in this life. Help us to worship you.